Hallelujah. So as our kids are being released, I woke up this morning, and this is the thing that I thought. I thought, if you're ever going to be extraordinary, you got to totally quit caring what average people think. You'll never be extraordinary caring about what average people think. And the average Christian believes in a powerless Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm just going to tell you. The average, Jesus, the average Christian still talked to little baby Jesus who wasn't the manifestation of the Son of God. The average church Christian leaves Jesus on the cross. If you're going to live your life, you've got to step into the resurrection power of who he is. The Jesus that walked on the earth was super dope. But the Jesus that died on the cross and went to hell and came back with power. And I think that part of the challenge for the church is you too comfortable being powerless. You're too comfortable being broke. You're too comfortable being broken. You're too comfortable accepting labels that don't belong to you. And nobody can change that but you because the Father's already done the work. So the question is, are you willing to step outside of everything that you may know to be yourself, but probably isn't you at all? To become who you were always created to be. And I want us just to take this last 13 seconds. And I want you to really, really ask the Lord if you're serious. This is like, man, I'm not just interested in being a Christian. I'm not, I'm not interested. In fact, Jesus never even called the people Christians. I'm interested in being a believer. You already believe in something, that you broke, that you broken, that you bound, that you can't live beyond your past, that you can't do it because you black or because you white or because you male or because you female. I'm asking you, are you willing to believe the things that God has said about you? Hang your life on them. Put your weight on them. Accept your true identity. So we're just going to take 13 seconds I'm not asking you to holler. I'm not asking you to scream. I'm asking you to receive. Father, I'm ready. Gotta be more to life than this. I'm ready. Do something big in me. I heard that, Eugene. Do something new in me. How I many of you want God to do something new in you? Do something new in me. I've been this me a long time. Do something new in me. Amen. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on and give our praise team and our band a hand. We're going to get into the word. Greet somebody you didn't come with real quick. Stay in your section. Let's get into the word. Can you take this for me? Thank you.
All right, all right. Let's get into the word. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. And um, as you can tell, my voice is a little scratchy. I wasn't supposed to teach today, but I'm here. And um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you. I'm not gonna fight you because I'm gonna be able to talk tomorrow, so I'm not gonna fight you. So you gotta decide what you gonna do. So this is what I was thinking. But you want me to say something? No, not me. Somebody else. Oh, okay. Uh, this is what I was thinking. I was thinking about you know um, my work is around my whole business is pretty much around this concept of helping people to shift their thinking feeling cycle. And if you haven't heard the series, you can go back and listen. I taught a series earlier this year called Inside Out. In the Inside Out series, we talked about um, you think a thought, you release a chemical. That chemical creates a feeling. That's the inside cycle. Inside, everybody's running one right now. Think a thought, release a chemical, experience a feeling. That feeling triggers another thought. So you're in a loop of feelings and thinking. We know that, right? We know that that thing begins to be something that we manifest on the outside, state of being, personality, and personal reality, right? It's why we look at somebody and we go, oh, they're in a bad mood today. It's why we look at somebody else and go, oh, they're always in a bad mood because they always have a thinking, feeling cycle that keeps them in a bad mood. They have a state of being that keeps them in a bad mood. They have a personality that keeps them in a bad mood. And then they create a personal reality that puts them in a bad mood. And so we talked about how when Romans 12 and 2 says that if you want to transform your life, if you are going to change your life, if you're going to change your life, you have to change your thinking. The reason that I begin to dig in that work is because you don't, all our lives we've heard people say, um, change your thinking, change your life. Well, that's great, but if I don't know how to change my thinking, how in the world am I going to change my life? And most people don't know what they think because you're not metacognitive. You're asleep on the job. You spend your time thinking about what everybody else is doing, how everybody else is feeling, why they did what they did, why they show up the way that they show up. You're mad at everybody. You're blaming everybody. It's still your daddy's fault. It's your mama's fault. It's your boss's fault. You can never see yourself because most people aren't metacognitive because most people are actually walking around sleep. Which is why the Bible says high time you should awake out of your slumber because there are some things you cannot receive if you're asleep. So we begin to really do this work. So my master's is in psychology, which means that I do a lot of work around cognitive things. And this is the thing I was thinking about. So has anybody ever taken um, a personality assessment and is spot on? Mm-hmm. The new one right now that everybody's super excited about is Enneagram. So you like a seven with an eight wing or seven with a three wing or whatever the case may be. And one of the things that I was really thinking about is that personality profiles in their proper perspective can be very helpful. But personality profiles, the way most of us use them, become limitations. Why do I say that? Because just because you test as a seven doesn't mean you were created as one. So what we do is we take tests to confirm why we are the way that we are. Oh, yes. This is what I do in situations. In situations, I get aggressive. In situations, I shut down. In situations, we, we love titles. Right? We love titles. Um, um, I'm an introvert. Uh, we love titles. I'm an empath. We love titles. Except the one God gives us. So in Psalms 139, let's go there, Psalms 139. 
I'm not going to be with you really long because ultimately if you don't do this work, your life is going to stay the same. Some of you are sitting here right now wearing titles the Lord never gave you. He never said that about you. A bunch of specialists did. Your mama did. The Lord didn't. Well, should my mama know? Only if she was there in Psalms 139 when he wove you together in the secret places. She wasn't. Right, way before her time. Ralph's been teaching this series on grace, and I was saying to him that, or to him, Pastor Edwin, one of the reasons, I was like, one of the reasons that it's so important to teach this teaching on grace is because you can't even receive who you really are if you can't learn to forgive yourself. But the challenge for a lot of people is that you're trying to fix your external, you're trying to fix your poverty issue, your sickness issue, your conflict issue, your rejection issue, your why you can't find love issue, but you ain't never fix your inside issue. And your inside issue is that you have accepted an identity that does not belong to you. This is why it's interesting. Some of you are very nice with these false identities. It's not like you have a bad attitude. It's not like you um, are rude. You know, because here's the thing. When people accept false identities um, that are jerky, everybody wants them to get a breakthrough. We want you to get a breakthrough because you're a jerk. But when you accept identities that are small, when you accept limitations, nobody really says anything because almost everybody you live know is living from the same place. So let's look at Psalms 130, I mean Psalms 139. Let's start with verse 14. It says, I will praise you. Why? Are we at the right church today? <laughs> Y'all can read, right? Okay. Uh, I will praise you. Why? So one of the reasons I praise God is why? It's fascinating to me that so many fearfully and wonderfully made people want to take their identity from somebody other than the God who made them. So then let's keep going. It says, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. Oh, I love this. I love this. So how do he make you? Okay, anybody know anything about a secret? So when it's a secret, what does that mean? Everybody don't know it, right? So God made you in secret before time. Then put you in the earth realm for somebody else to try to tell you who you are. He made, oh, I'm sorry. He made you in secret, which means you don't even know who you are unless he reveals it to you. Hold on, pause, pause, because you like, where is that in the Bible? Yes, let's look at the Bible. Because some of you read so much stuff and take in so much stuff. I watch it on people's timelines. This is the one I can't stand the most. I'm an empath. Nobody's more empathetic than God. But he ain't walking around sad every time he come into a room and it feels sad. That's a spirit. And it makes you feel all good about yourself. Oh, my God, I felt their pain. That's a spirit. It's a demonic assignment to steal your life. 
But if you take it as a diagnosis, go ahead with your empath self. Psalm, I mean, dude, we go come back to Psalms 139. You're like, man, that's really, that's really, that's really cold. It is. And I'm going to tell you why. One of the strategies in psychology is something called disruptive therapy. It's where when people tell a story, you interrupt them in a very rude way to tell them how stupid their story is. And the problem is that people co-sign all of these false identities. They, Girl, I understand. Me too. Well, then you both got a demon. I'm an introvert. That's why I can't talk in front of people. You're created in the image of God who is called the word of God. So you're created from word, but you don't have words in front of people. Spirit. It's a lie. One of the lyrics that you sang in the song that we just listened to, no lie you won't tear down. Today I've come to deal with your lies. What's interesting to me is most of us hate for people to lie on us. But we will reaffirm lies about ourselves. You will get so mad. Get, you get on Facebook right now and find out that somebody or Instagram, somebody told a lie on you. And you, will, you won't hardly be able to sleep. You will want to fight them and go to their house and all kind of stuff. But you pat yourself on the back for the lies you tell yourself. You know, I'm, I'm just that way. Because, you know, um, my mom was that way. Well, but did God make you or your mama that way? All right, let's go to Deuteronomy 29 and 29. This girl told me the other day, she said, you know, you make people mad a lot of days. And I was like, as long as you're mad enough to change, I'm cool with that. Because <laughs> you'll never be mad enough to run up. You'll never be that mad. So be mad enough to change. No, uh, she was like, they were saying, you know, do you ever think that you need security? I'm like, chick, I got angels. I promise this ain't to smoke people won't. I travel with, I got a whole squad with me. And if you think that's strange, you don't know who you are. That's what I mean that most people water Jesus down to some white man on a poster holding out something. You sanitize Jesus. You strip all of his power away. You make Jesus palatable to you instead of making yourself palatable to Jesus. You're offended by supernatural. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever that way we may do the words of this law. So what's happening is this. Understand this. Before the foundation of the earth, God takes you. He makes you. He puts all of this unique combination of gifts and skills and talents and personalities in the way that you will see life. He puts it in there together. But the moment you get conceived... The world starts defining you. Some of you right now in the wrong profession because your mama defined you. She ain't mean no harm. She just didn't want you to be broke. And so because she couldn't figure out how you would make money doing what your natural bend was, she bent you into something. 
and a lot of people are sick and your job stresses you out because you've been out of shape. There are people who are anointed to teach little kids. Kristen Valley is anointed to teach little kids. We have a prayer group. Last year, Kristen told us how little Johnny, whatever his name was, he bit her. I was like, do you want me to come down there? Because I'll kick little Johnny. <laughs> She's like, little Johnny, he deals with trauma, and I spoke to him, and I affirmed him, and I let him know. I was like, I'd have pushed that kid down if he'd have bit me in that classroom. That ain't my word. I done mushed that little kid in his face. I mush my own kid if they bite me. I know I'll mush your kid if they bite me. Oh, he what? He did what? He peed on you. Oh, Lord. That's why I was so worked up. I was like, I was like, you can quit today. You ain't got to be down there putting up. But because she's built for that. It rolls off of her. Many of you are bent in environments that are not your natural habitat. That's why you can't grow because you're in fish bowls that you were never designed for. Let's go back to Psalms 139 because we're dealing with this secret place. We don't have a whole lot of scripture today because I'm just trying to get you to stop believing lies. Now, this is why it's important for those of you who have not had children yet and those of you who still have children. It is why it is important for you to pray over your children. Not your prayers of fear, not your prayers of control and manipulation, but your prayers that say, who is this little person you gave me? So anybody who knows anything about our family, you know that we are a pretty sports-dominated family. We love sports, all the sports. I mean, there's sports, we don't watch all of it, but when it gets to the playoffs, we can watch the playoffs of anything. That little kettlebell thing, playoffs, we in it. Pick the team, damn, with the whatever. You know the one where they squirted, scooted with the ice and all of that stuff? We don't even fully understand what's happening, but we like, we picked the guy in the red. That's the guy we going for. When Kana was little, probably about two years old, she would get up every Saturday morning and she would turn music on and she would dance. And she would say, I want to dance. And I would say, no, you don't. You want to shoot basketballs. <laughs> you want to shoot baskets. And every Saturday she would get up and she would dance. And when she was by herself, she would dance. And she would dance and she would make up dances and she would dance. And I would be like, here's a basketball. And she would dance. And I would be like, here's a volleyball. And she would dance. Until finally it dawns on me that she knows more what she's created to do than I do. So then we said, let her dance. So... He says, I wove you together in the secret places. I am the one who knows you. How do I know you? I pulled you out of myself. You are created in my image, in love. I know who you are. Most people ask everybody who they are but their creator. What do you think I'm good at? 
What do you think I should do? I should take a personality test. I should take a career assessment. And then sometimes you'll even pull up something on the assessment and all the jobs you'll be like, uh, uh, I don't want to do that. 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 And then you'll be like, but you know what? The closest fit on this is this right here. But he says in Psalms 139, he says, my substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and was curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Can you pull that up in the New Living Translation? It says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Next verse. You saw me when? You saw me before I was born. So if you saw me before I was born, how did somebody who didn't meet me till after I was born define me? It doesn't make sense. So when we start talking about being redeemed, most people accept redemption to the degree that it doesn't offend the identity you have accepted. All right. So the job of the Holy Spirit, this is why you need the Holy Spirit. Say, I need the Holy Spirit. You, the job of the Holy Spirit, let's go to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Now, Ralph talked about this. We're going to start with verse, I think, 9. Go back to, let me see, 6. Is this making sense to you guys? Go back to King James for me. He says, how be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that came to naught. This is what he's saying. He's saying the gospel is going to say stuff to you that doesn't make natural sense. And the world is going to say, that's foolish. And he says, you can accept that wisdom, but it's inferior. And you can accept those labels and that identity and what they said and what they did and who they're saying that you are. But if you do, it's inferior. Go to the next verse. It says, but we speak what? The wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God did what? When? So God put some wisdom available before the foundation of the world. And he made you before the foundation of the world. So it speaks to reason that you are designed to operate according to the wisdom that existed before the world, not the wisdom that you find right here. Next verse. Which none of the princes knew, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, let me put this in context, okay? Before the foundation of the earth, the Bible says this, before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain. So this is what happened. God says, I have a plan. I'm going to create these human beings. I'm going to put them in the earth realm. But in the event that they make bad choices, I got to have a way to get them back to their real identity. Jesus says, I'll go if you ever need a reason to get them back before the foundation of the earth. Before, so before the lamb was slain, the lamb was slain. 
So before God starts creating people, he creates a way to get you back. If you understood this, all the stuff you were afraid of, you stop being afraid of. God created you with free will. But he had to have a plan to be able to reconcile you in the event that your free will took you out of his will. So he slays Jesus before the foundation so that in the event that we ever get messed up, he got a way to get us back. So he slays Jesus before the foundation of the earth with Jesus' full participation. Then he starts making people. He starts reaching inside of himself, pulling out people based on times and seasons. So he starts saying, hey, I need Chandra to birth in the earth about 1972 because there's some things that I'm going to need to move and to shape. And I'm going to bring Chris in 1984, uh, 81. And I'm going to do all of this. Why? Because I'm setting up things with times and seasons. And everything's working together for the good, even though it don't make sense to you that it's working together for the good because if they had known what Jesus really came to do, they never would have crucified him. They thought he was dangerous alive. Oh, <laughs> they thought he was dangerous alive. But alive, he was the only son of God. So he sets them up to be threatened by his teaching because he has to go to the cross to get you back. They think he's a threat when he's healing on the Sabbath. <laughs> they think he's a threat because he's multiplying five loaves of fish and feeding 5,000. Oh, no, baby. He wouldn't begin to be a threat till he hung up on that cross. As a kid, I grew up Baptist, so they tell you the church, the story of the cross every Sunday. I used to say, why didn't you just get down? I'd have just smote them suckers. Up on the cross, I'd been like, oh, you think we got tricks and games, huh, Okay. What's his name in X-Men with the hat? The helmet. Magneto. I'd have Magneto them. I'd have just been like. They couldn't have said to me, if you the Messiah, show it. Okay, Cletus, that's what you want. Should I rip off your left side of your body or your right? Which one you want? I'll just split you down the middle and hook you, your body to hers. But the Bible says he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word because he doesn't need to defend himself because he's not guilty. But you are. If he stands as Jesus and he acknowledges that he's not guilty... He can't become the sacrifice. So he can't say he's not guilty. He can't say he's guilty because he don't lie. But he can't say he's not guilty because if he say he's not guilty, he can't be the sacrifice. He says, if they had known 
they would not have crucified our Lord. So he dies on the cross in alignment with scripture. They get ready to break his legs. But in Psalms it says, not one of his bones will be broken. So he gives up the ghost. Read it. He didn't die. The Bible says he gave up the ghost. That's why I hate when people play Jesus like he's a lamb. Nobody touched Jesus until it was time to go to the cross. Jesus was not out here living life being sucker punched everywhere. Jesus was standing in his authority. In fact, there's a scripture that says they backed Jesus up on a cliff and they thought they was going to push him over. And when they looked up again, Jesus was standing behind them. Jesus was not a punk. Jesus was not some lily livered, just hug the kids and get kicked in the face and say it'll be better by and by. And in fact, I got to tell you, if you're black, that came from slavery because that's the thing that keeps people from revolting. So it tells you that you should take this so God will be pleased with you. And one day you'll get to heaven and one day that you'll understand. But if you had been able to read your Bible, you'd have found out that he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I ain't got to wait to get to heaven and get to heaven because I can bring heaven into earth. People say, why you preach to black people so much? Here's why. I'm black. That's why I preach to black people so much. And because I understand the manipulation of slave Christianity. And slave Christianity makes you live as a punk. We ain't going to say nothing. We going to stay at this job even though they don't pay us well. We going to keep going home to Thanksgiving even though we get cussed out every time we go. Because it'll be better by and by. What? Back to the cross. He's on the cross. And he dies because he has to die. He has to die because when Adam sinned, Adam and Eve gave the keys of authority to Satan. And Satan dwelt in hell. Well, God couldn't go into hell because if he did, it would become heaven. I, I wish you'd understand who you serve. I wish you'd understand who you serve. I wish you understood who you serve. I wish you let your Bible become alive to you. He couldn't go to hell because if he went to hell, it would become heaven. So he had to go dressed up like a man. And here's the problem. Because death was the gateway into hell. Except hell messed around and took somebody that wasn't guilty. So when Jesus showed up in hell and he wasn't guilty. All of hell went, oh, hell. <laughs> and Jesus said in 2019 vernacular, run me them keys. Run me them keys. Run me healing. Run me wholeness. Run me dominion over depression. Run me wealth. Run me them keys. And Satan wants y'all to think he big and bad. <laughs> Except in the presence of God, Satan ain't never been able to do but one thing. He bowed his knee and handed him the keys. Jesus takes the keys, comes back to earth, spends 40 days saying, yo, 
I came to tell you who you are. I came to remind you of who you are. He says, the works I've done, don't let me be your limitation. You'll do greater works. You're like, why are we still struggling to get to just his works? Because you're still living with a lie. <laughs> Lay hands on the sick. See them recover. Cast out devils. Oh, well, let's start with this devil. Because all devils don't require you to shake and convulse to get rid of them. Some devils you get rid of by realizing that you've been in agreement with them and telling them to go. So some of you know that you've been sitting here. Listen, and I love talking about identity because identity right now in the world, the biggest crime is identity theft. It's only matching the spirit. The natural always reveals the spirit. The reason there's so much identity theft and identity confusion is because most of the sons of God don't know their identity. Oh, let me help you. I don't just mean the people who struggle with gender. I know because you went, oh, she's talking about the trans. No, I'm talking about your trans. I'm talking about he called you wealthy, but you call yourself broke. I'm talking about he called you whole, but you call yourself sick. I'm talking about him calling you peaceful and you saying that you have anxiety. I'm talking about you saying that you can't never get ahead when he told you that you were the head. I, I, I'm talking about your identity confusion. Because if you get distracted by their identity confusion, you'll feel a little bit better about yourself than you ought to. You're just twisted on the inside. Because you're mixing truth with a lie. I'm saved, but I'm also this. Well, if he made me, no one knows who I am better than he does. Oh, I know. Let's go back. Let's stay here. Keep going. Keep going. We almost done, guys. Y'all all right? It says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of the man the things which the Lord has prepared for those that love him. Do you love him? So that means that there are some things that have been prepared for you that have not been released with the sound of a voice yet. But it doesn't mean they haven't been spoken. Go on. But God reveals them to us how? By his spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal our identity. Before the foundation of the earth, when I was being woven together, what did you have in mind? That's who I want to be. That's the place of freedom. That's the place where you stop wrestling. Is it okay for me to be this? Is it okay for me to be that? It's why Jesus spent all of those years studying in the word. And then the Bible says he found himself in the word. Many of you have found yourself everywhere but the word. Everybody has named you. Everybody has labeled you. Everybody has made you a statistic. You're a teenage mom. You're in poverty. You're from a single parent home. You're a victim of molestation. 
Everybody's named you something. You think you're better than we are. That's a label. And he says, but God reveals who you really are, not by a personality assessment, not by a therapist, not even by a coach, as dope as I am. People say to me, they go, what do you think I should do? Who, me? You're going to give your destiny to me? Who have you given your destiny to? Who did you let name you? Oh, I'm going to ask that again. Who did you let name you? Did you let your emotions name you? I struggle with depression. I must be depressed. Who'd you let name you? Who named you? Whose voice do you answer to? Because God is calling you to answer to who you really are. Next verse. Lay your hand on your head. Just say, I'm open to receive. A year ago in November, I was in Chicago, and the, this man gave a word, and the Lord said, this is the word for the body. He says, I am about to reintroduce you to yourself. A lot of people like, allow me to introduce myself. That's great, except who you are isn't who you are. It's the challenge that people have with authenticity. You think you're authentic. You, only, you think you're authentic and you really want to be authentic, but you've believed a lie. So what you're showing isn't authentic because it's not actually who you were created to be before the foundation of the earth. It doesn't mean that all of you is a lie. It doesn't mean that all of, I, of who I am is a lie. It just means that there are so many twisted things, light and darkness, so many ways that it's twisted, that what begins to happen for people is that you begin to believe that because you think it and you feel it, it must be you. So then you begin to identify yourself based on who you are and what you feel instead of who you are and what he said. You know, I always get sick in the winter. Who said? Who named you that? Who named you that? Everybody gets the flu. Who named you that? Now, but I want you to see that. In the places where you don't believe the lie, watch how your body responded. But when I talk about money and destiny and anxiety, your body doesn't do that because you still in your heart believe a lie. Yes. For what man knoweth the things of a man say the spirit of man which is in him, even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Keep going. We almost done. Now, we have, not re we have received what? But what? That we might do what? Guys, understand this. He says, there are two spirits. One is the spirit of this world. And one is the spirit of God. And everything in the spirit of this world is not a demon that makes a head spin around. A lot of the stuff that's in the spirit of this world seems good and nice and kind. And all it does is dummy you down from who you really are. 
He said, but you have not received the spirit of this world. You have received the spirit of God that you would know what has freely already been given to you. So the job of the Holy Spirit is to bring you back to yourself. The job of the Holy Spirit is to bring you back to yourself. Give me myself back. Let's go to John 15. We all wrap up here right here. This is where it gets murky. This is where it's complicated. This is why... If you're going to be a believer, and and I'm just going to tell y'all some of this, this is where you're challenged. You can't rewrite scripture to take away your guilt. Because if you do it, you take away its power to free you. So you got to say, even though I may not look like what scripture says, I am what he said. Because if you dump, okay, I'm going to use something. You're like, where am I going with this? Okay, let's take marriage and fornication, okay? So people say, I have sex before marriage because everybody doing it. I have sex before marriage because it's normal. I have sex before marriage because it feels good. I have sex before marriage because when they first instituted that rule, you know, people got married at 16, Now I'm 36, you really expect me to go without? That's what people say, right? So people go, I'm going to have sex, and it's cool. And here's what I love about church people. This is my favorite quote from church people, because God know my heart. He does. He know your heart. He know that you don't believe in his provision. So... You go, well, what's the big deal about sex? Because you only think about sex from the physical constraint. And you don't understand that the purpose of sex is to combine powers. I mean, orgasms are nice, but that's not the main pleasure of sex. It's to combine power. So when you have sex with people that you don't have covenant with, You give your power to somebody that was never designed to hold it. Oh, baby, that ain't old-fashioned. That's power. Because part of the covenant of marriage is the supernatural release that happens when a man and woman and God come together. As a wife in covenant... I can release some things over my husband you can't never release over your boyfriend. I don't care how long he's been your boyfriend. I don't care how many accounts y'all got together. I don't care that y'all share credit. I don't care that y'all bought a house together. The earth may recognize all of that. Heaven does not. And the challenge in America is you think because you do it, heaven got to recognize it. 
Heaven is not obligated to recognize what is illegal in heaven. In fact, the scripture is wrong. It says whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That's not the translation of it. The translation of it is find out what's bound in heaven and then bind it in earth. Find out what's loosed in heaven and loosed in earth. I don't get the right to say I'm afraid of commitment. I don't know anybody who's happily married, so I'm just going to shack and I got to anoint it like a marriage. Be mad. Don't run up. John 15. So the challenge for us, this is where it gets problematic for all of us. Say all of us. For all of us is that we are like wicker furniture. Seeing wicker furniture? Wicker furniture is twisting. It twists together to make a seat sturdy enough to sit in. Your personality is twisted with both what God said and what the enemy said. And some of those twistings have been in you so long that when John 15 pruning comes, you feel like God don't like you. Because here's the part nobody wants to talk about. Pruning hurts. You know, I wish that everything was just we go run around the building three times. We go lift our hands. Pruning hurts. When God starts saying to you, Mish, that ain't really who you are. Let me get that right there. But the problem is, is that Misha thought she was that since she was six. Then we start saying stuff like this. Oh, my God, he's trying to kill me just to fake you. He is trying to kill you. <laughs> he is trying to kill you, but just to fake you. So you keep running into these mountains and running into these situations and running into these circumstances because he's trying to kill the fake you. But when you can't discern the fake you from the real you, you will fight him to keep the fake you. Here's a good example. Then we're about to go pray for some people this morning. Whenever one of my kids gets mad, now listen, whenever one of my kids gets mad, I always try to get them to give me or somebody a hug. Well, people who are mad typically don't think they want a hug. The reality of it is that when you're mad, you don't know what you need because you're not in your proper state. Now, research tells us that when you hug somebody for 20 seconds, that healing actually is released in your body. So the reason I'm trying to get my kids to surrender to a hug is because I know that they are in a state that is not conducive to their best identity. If they will surrender to the hug and they will let me hold them for 20 seconds, at 20 seconds the chemicals in their body are going to start to help me. But because they want to be mad, they don't want a hug. I'm talking about some of y'all too, not just little kids. So you won't put yourself in the state where your body can help your soul recognize who your spirit is. It's why you struggle to lift your hands. Because the lifting of your hands is a surrender. Well, you love God, but you ain't really surrendered. 
So worship makes you uncomfortable because it means you have to lift your hands, which means you have to put your body in a state of surrender. Because if you put your body in a state of surrender, then your body will begin to release the chemicals that will feed your soul to come into conjunction with your spirit. That's why, that's why worship aggravates your soul. Your spirit isn't aggravated by worship. Your soul is. Why is your soul aggravated by worship? You become who you behold. Some of you are singing, but you ain't beholding. The strategy of the enemy is to get you to sing worship songs without a worship encounter. Because if you sing, you'd begin to see yourself. And what's hidden in your soul would have to go. That's why many of you, you don't even understand. No matter how much you try to be on time for church, you can't be. Because your soul don't want to be exposed to prayer and worship. So your soul say deep stuff like, we just need the word. You don't, because if you just needed the word, then God wouldn't say you just need the word. He would say, just come to church for the word. And then you say, I don't need to be in church for all of that word. But he knows that something supernatural happens in prayer, with worship, with word, that you begin to see yourself. And when you begin to see yourself, the shackles and the chains that are hidden in your soul start to slide off of you. Last story. This is about deliverance. So I've been working out. And... um. I ended up injuring my hip. And so I work with a physical therapist. So what happened is, is that I was working out. My hip got flared up. My back muscles got flared up. And what happened is nothing would turn off. So Jerrica has to come to my house. She's doing this work. She's massaging. She's pushing. She's cupping. She's rolling. But it's not moving. Then she says, I got to do something, and you're probably not going to like it, but I need to do it because it's the only way I can get these muscles to calm down. And she pulls out these needles. And she says, can I stick you with these needles? And I am in enough pain that I'm like, you stick me whatever you want to as long as you can make this stop. What I've found is that most people aren't in enough pain to participate in deliverance. So she pulled these needles out. She's sticking me with the needles. She says, can you feel that? Not over the pain. Listen, let me tell you what I know about deliverance. When you really get in enough pain, it's like having a baby. When you have your first baby and this idea of all of these people which looking at you with your legs up before you've had your first baby, you're like, oh, my God, how are these people really going to see me like this? When it's time to have a baby, you don't care who the freak see you. They come in, they like, this is a student intern. I don't care. Can they help? <laughs> Fix this. Who, whoever. We, we, we got to observe. Can they observe? I, I don't, can they? Don't get in the way. Because when people want to be free, they lose the shame of their reputation. Yeah. So she's poking me with the needles and 
she gets some relief and we do these moves and then I have to go work out with Jimmy. So she goes with me to work out with Jimmy and this is what she's explaining. And then I begin to understand deliverance in a way that I've never understood deliverance before, which is why some, this go help some of you because some of you go be like, I feel like I got delivered and then I lose it again. I'm going to tell you what's happening. So this is what she says to me. She says, the truth of it is, is that your pelvis has probably been off since your first baby. She said, because you expand and you release, and most people do not acknowledge the trauma that comes in your body to carry a baby. She said, so you've probably been in this state since your first pregnancy. She said, but it happened so gradually that you did not realize that parts of your body were compensating for other parts of your body that were not working. She now says, so in reality, you have been in pain so long until it ain't painful. She says, so my job is to activate your muscles to do what they were created to do. She said, but since they haven't been doing it, the reason you keep having to come back to me is that I can manipulate them into working, but you're not strong enough to keep them working. Isn't that what you learned about your body? But you show up long enough. So what would happen is that she would work on it in the morning and by the noon I'd be in pain again. And then she'd work on it. And then by two, I'd be in pain again. Then she started teaching me strategies that when you can start to feel the pain, here's how you move your body in order to get yourself out of bed. The reality of it is that many of you have lived twisted so long. You have been in pain so long that when someone comes to activate you back to your real self, you fight them. So I called Chris. And I said, that's what Chris understood by the spirit when she was fighting for her mind. So here's what people don't understand. Nothing in the natural is just individual. Everything has a thread. Because Chris's mother had a mental breakdown when she was pregnant with Chris, in essence, Chris was exposed to a breakdown in vitro. So Chris is born being addicted to chemicals that she don't know why. Because in order for anybody to have a breakdown, there is an abundance of chemicals that are flowing between the mother and the baby. Does this make sense? So even though Chris doesn't have any of the same trauma that triggered her mother, she has been exposed to the chemicals of it. So what's happening for her is that her body is craving the chemicals. That's the problem with playing a loop of depression. Your body starts to crave it. People don't realize not only can you be addicted to drugs, not only can you be addicted to alcohol, not only can you be addicted to sugar, you can be addicted to the negative chemicals that are released when you loop. Because you're looping. So what happens for people, I'm going to use something that people understand. You ever met anybody? Maybe it used to be you. 
that you bored when there's no drama. I know you all want to be grown up now, but I've known some of you for a long time, and I know that some of you at least at one point have been addicted to drama. Intellectually, you're not addicted to drama, but there are chemicals that are released when we are in dramatic and traumatic situations. So then our body begins to fiend that, so we will make up drama so we can feel normal. So when you come to a place like this, where the whole job is week after week to slash everything that's not the real you, week after week, it is to slash everything that's not the real you. You go from being hype to being, I'm not coming back there no more, <laughs> to being like, why do I feel like they always talking to me? Why do I feel like every week after week after week after week is something else? Just when I thought I was fine, they come and deal with something else. Because we're not interested in you being better. We're interested in you being divine. We're trying to get you back to your real self. 